Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are doing um, amazing. And uh, things are going well. And I hope as we uh, march through this series called Buckle Up, you're, uh, you're learning some things that we're growing together, that, that as we hear Jesus say things like, truly, truly, I say to you, and when we come across those verses in the scripture where Jesus uses those words, that we will pay special attention to what Jesus is about to say next. And that's what this sermon series is all about. It's about those times where Jesus said, listen closely to what I'm about to say. Buckle up, because this is a big truth, and I don't want you to miss it. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And I want to thank you for being along with us for the ride. The ride, you get it, buckle up. Um, and so today we're talking about a statement that Jesus makes. It's a truly, truly statement. He's going to answer another big question. And the question that Jesus is going to ask or answer in this truly, truly statement is this. In a world of copycats, in a world of imitators and imposters, and self-proclaimed heroes, who should we follow? Like, who should we listen to and who should we be imitators of? You know, kids play lots of games, right? As a kid, remember playing games like Duck, Duck, Goose and uh, uh, Ring Around the Rosie and uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, Send Bobby Over. And uh, games like that we used to play when we were kids. Uh, but most everyone's all-time favorite game, and still is with kids today, is that game called Simon Says. Simon Says. Simon Says, put your hands up. Simon Says, put your hands out. Simon Says, cover your eyes. Touch your nose. You know, it's a game of, uh, of trickery. It's a game of copycat. It's a game of mimicking. The leader does something, and then you are supposed to do what the leader does. You know, you, you do it. And the goal of the game is to listen carefully to the leader and not be tricked with misinformation. If he doesn't say Simon says, you don't do it, right? But if he says Simon says, then you do it. You only react to Simon says. Simon says. Say that with me. Simon says. Simon says. I don't know why Simon. I'm guessing there's a history behind Simon says, but why not Billy says or Joey says or somebody else says, uh, but it's Simon says. Which leads us to our passage. We're in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And in the first 14 verses of John, chapter 5, Flip there in your Bibles, if you would, go with me there. We're going to kind of spend a little time in John 5. Jesus is going to go up to the festival. It's another Passover festival, and there's lots of people are going to gather there, and they're going to celebrate the Passover for a week. 
long celebration. Lots of Jews, Jews from all over the land are going to come and celebrate in Jerusalem at the Passover at the festival. And near one of the gates, uh, the sheep gate, there's a pool. And uh, around that pool, people gathered uh, a number of like crippled men and blind people and anybody that has an issue gathers at this pool. And there's a guy there who was, has been invalid. He's been an invalid for 38 years of his life. And Jesus goes to that pool and he sees this man lying there. And obviously the man's an invalid. He'd probably been carried to the pool and lays there day in and day out. Jesus sees him there and Jesus asks the invalid this question. He says to him, do you want to get well? When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And the man said, here's what the man said. The man said, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Back then, it was believed that if the calm still water got stirred by anything. It was the power of an angel touching the water and the first person into the pool would be healed of whatever it was they had. But this man, if the water got stirred, he was unable to even get to the pool, let alone get there first. And so he says, Jesus says, do you want to be well? And the man says, yeah, I want to be well, but I I can't get to the pool when the water's stirred by the angel. And so I, I'm never going to get out of this condition. And Jesus says to him, look, you don't need the power of the pool in your life. He says, what you do need is the power of God in your life. And Jesus says, let me show you how this works. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, here's how it works. You don't need to go diving into the pool and get all wet. Here's how it works. Put your faith in God. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. The man picked up his mat, and the man walked. That simple. Simon says, walk. And the man walked. Well, no good deed ever goes unpunished, especially with Jesus. And so this day that Jesus did this happened to be the Sabbath day. And of course, the, Jew, the Jews are there and they're watching all this going on, the religious leaders. And of course, the Jewish people have all these rules about what you can do and what you cannot do on the Sabbath. The rules of the Pharisees. Lots and lots of rules. You know, God gave Moses, remember, 10 commandments, 10 commandments. And as we read through the Old Testament books, the history books, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, we learn that, that from those 10, there are more guidelines and there are more rules. There's 100, 100 or so, even more rules that kind of help define the 10 commandments. And God gave other rules to 
uh, the Jewish people back in the Old Testament on how to carry out things, guidelines uh, like for uh, the feasts and celebrations and the priests and what the priests should do and what they shouldn't do, especially when it came to the temple and, and how they were supposed to go, out, go about their religious duties. There's clean and unclean things that you can eat and you can't eat. And so God gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments and then, then other rules that went with those rules. Kind of like in our, in our world, like in sports, there's rules and then there's definition of rules. So if you have a rule book and you look at the rule book and it says, uh, you know, you cannot commit a foul in basketball. Let's say a foul, simple foul. Foul is a penalty. And uh, either the other team's going to get the ball or uh, they're going to take some shots. Well, if you look up the rule about a foul, there's a bunch of things that make up a foul, right? Different things you cannot do that all make up a foul. In the game of football, if uh, you were um, if you were uh, guilty of a holding penalty, uh, holding penalty would encompass a, a lot of different ways that you could be call, called for holding. Uh, different things that you might do to be called for a holding penalty. So, so there's holding penalty, and then there's a list of things that make up what is a holding penalty. Well, that's kind of what the Pharisees did. They had their own rule book on every law that God gave to man and they expounded on it even greater. They took the 10 plus the expanded ones that God gave in the Old Testament and they created literally thousands of, of more rules that people should follow in order to be religious or in order to follow God. For instance, do not work on the Sabbath, which is what they're accusing Jesus of doing in many occasions, but it's going to come out in this occasion as well. Do not work on, this, on the Sabbath, okay? We get it. Don't work on the Sabbath. Well, they had, the religious leaders had 39 different categories of what work means. What it means to work. What you can do what you can't do, what you're allowed to do, how to get around it. The problem was these religious leaders enforced these upon the people, but they had no, no intention of doing these things themselves. They, had, they, they attempted to live by them in no way, but they enforced them upon the other people. And this is why, this is why Jesus in Matthew 23 says this about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Here's what Jesus says. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of, of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous, like righteous people, but inwardly, religious leaders, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so we know what Jesus had to say about the religious leaders and all of their laws and all of their rules that they were heaping on God's people, the Jews, trying to force them and oppress them into doing what they wanted done. And we know how Jesus felt about that. 
Now, rules are good for us. We, we all know that in a society or in a sporting event or whatever it is, in your family, we have to have guidelines to keep our society from becoming chaos. If you don't have rules, if you don't enforce the rules like we see happening in our country right now, if, if we don't enforce the laws that are already written, then we will have nothing but violence and chaos in our cities and at our borders, and that is exactly what is happening today in our world, right? All kinds of chaos because laws and rules are not being enforced. But we need these, we need these. But this was, from the perspective of the religious leaders of the day, this was an atrocity that they were trying to oppress the people with their laws and what I'm gonna call religio, Titians, religioticians. Okay, these are these are religioticians. It's a combination of religious people that are politicians forcing their stuff on people. Religioticians. Religioticians, we will refer to them from here on out. They had they had a noose around everyone's neck with their religious political laws and rules and they were not they were not going to allow people any room to breathe like at all and they used these rules and these laws to control the people to get people to do what they wanted them to do and it's a sad it, it was a sad thing religious religioticians who used all kinds of things in their to their disposal to control people maybe uh maybe a mark like remember back in the day hitler used tattoos on jewish people that were prisoners to control them and to know where they were and who they were maybe maybe in our day it's a shot of some sort an injection maybe it's a a mask to control people maybe it's uh, the taking away of certain freedoms and erasing certain uh, certain of our, our laws and and uh, things that govern the society and they remove those from our, our laws so that they can control people to, by taking away our freedoms. Maybe it's crazy taxes that they put on people to, to control them and to keep them oppressed, placing like heavy burdens on people. Governments do this, countries do this, religious leaders were doing this. And so for all of us today, the warning is beware of leaders who use rules and regulations to control the masses. Be alert, be aware, don't, don't fall for it. The devil is up to something in it and what it is is not good. So Jesus heals the man, pick up your mat and walk. And the man walks and Jesus goes his separate way. And, 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 and the religious leaders now go after this man. They're going to go after this man that was healed. And when they go after him, it's not because they're happy that the man is healed. That, that's not it at all. They, they're going to attack this man because of what Jesus did for this man. Remember, it's the Sabbath. And so they find the man and they say to the man, not we're happy for your healing, but... But why are you carrying a mat on the Sabbath day? 
Don't you know that rule number 5,674, uh, section A, rule six says that you're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath day? That is considered working. And you are not allowed to work on the Sabbath. What do you have to say about yourself? And the man, the man who was healed in whom they are confronting right now looked at them and here's what he said. He said, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. In verse 13, now the man did not know, the scripture says, the man did not know who it was that healed him. He didn't know it was Jesus. All he knows is that he was healed and Jesus, they went their separate ways. Jesus, the scripture says, slipped away in the crowd. And so there was no like official formal meeting between these two people. Jesus just said, do you want to get well? The man said, I have no one to help me in the pool. Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. And the man walked one way and Jesus went the other way. And in verse 14, later, Jesus found this man at the temple and he said to the man, See that you are well now. You're well again. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you, may happen to you. That sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Jesus finds the man that he just healed and he says to the man, you're well, so stop sinning. Stop your sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning. That just seems a little out of the ordinary, doesn't it? Stop sinning. Like, like this guy had been invalid for 38 years. He could not move. He couldn't walk without the help of people. What could he, what sins could this man possibly have been committing that Jesus says, stop sinning? Well, to be honest, the truth is that most sins happen first in the heart and in the mind, right? Jealousy, adultery, hate, greed, maybe even trusting in the pool water rather than trusting in God. We don't know what this man was sinning about. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, even crippled people and people that are invalids and people that are blind and people that can't talk and people that are, you know, have whatever illness they may have. We are all sinners and, and we all have the capability of being rebellious toward God. Whatever it was, Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse Something worse may happen to you. Something worse. What could possibly be worse than being an invalid for 38 years? Like, what could be worse than that? Well, I don't know. If you remember a week ago or so, Jesus said something like this. It is better for you, for me, to enter life, eternal life, maimed or crippled, than it is to have two hands or two feet and be tossed into the eternal fire. So Jesus has already set a precedent that it is better for you to be 
crippled and go to heaven than it is for you to be completely healthy and end up going to hell. And so something worse for this man clearly is eternal fire. That is much worse than having a handicap. To be trapped in sin is an eternal death sentence. For you or for me to remain in our sin is worse than being invalid for 38 years. It's worse than being blind all your life. It's worse than being crippled all your life. Whatever ailment you could ever come up with, going to eternal punishment is far worse than any sickness or disease on the planet. To remain in your sin is far worse than any disease, any sickness, or any limitation. Something worse than being crippled on earth. That would be hell. That would clearly be what Jesus is talking about. Something worse would be to be separated from God for all of eternity. And in verse 15, the man went away and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, this is bizarre, too. I'm not, I'm not sure that that is like the best way to show your gratitude toward the man who just healed you. It's like the guy was crippled and invalid for 38 years. Jesus comes by and heals him. And all you can say is run to the Jewish leaders and say, he's over there. I mean, that's the, how you're going to show your gratitude to Jesus for what he has done for you? Seems a little odd. In verses 16 to 18, the scripture says this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And Jesus says, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath by healing this man, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Look, all Jesus was doing was speaking what he knew. He was speaking the truth about what he knew, where he was from, who he was. He is God. Was he supposed to deny that he is God? Is that what they wanted him to do? Just deny that you are God, even though you are God, right? See, the religious could not handle the truth about who Jesus was. Yes, Jesus's claims were very big. They were huge. When he said, I am, he was saying, I am everything. I am God. I am creator. I am maker. And he says, I am a lot. I am living water. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth. And I am. When Jesus says, I am, they understood exactly what Jesus was claiming when he said, I am. And so his claims are ginormous. And if he was delusional, if Jesus was a psycho, if Jesus was like off his rocker, they would have left Jesus alone. Like he would not have been a threat to them if he was a lunatic of some kind. 
The problem was for them, Jesus backs up his claims with healings and raising the dead and walking on water and feeding thousands of people and giving sight to the blind. And just, just a few hours ago, he healed an invalid at the pool without the water being necessary. And so Jesus is, is giving them all kinds of evidence and all the people, all the evidence that they will ever need to prove and to back up his claim of being God. Miracles, just like the prophets said that the Christ would perform. Jesus is performing all of them. See, they hated him, not because he wasn't who he said he was. They hated him because he was. He was exactly who he said he was. And they could not deny it. They were, and they weren't going to accept it. But they could not deny the evidence that Jesus was giving them. And what's totally awesome about all of this is that Jesus never denies the claims. He never denies their accusations, right? In the face of persecution, in the face of opposition, they're wanting to kill him. He could have said, just kidding. I was just kidding. I was just messing around with you guys. But that's not what he did. They said, you claim to be one with God? And Jesus says, yep, I sure do. A claim, a claim in itself of blasphemy and of a capital offense deserving death, if it was true, that he was lying, that he was a lunatic, that he was claiming something that he wasn't. See, Jesus knows this. He knows what's at stake, and he knows the punishment for claiming such things. But when you're the way, when you are the truth, and you are the life, all you can do is speak the truth in spite of whatever opposition there is. Jesus simply cannot deny who he is. It's a fact. And he is not about to deny it. And so in verse 18, they tried to kill him all the more. They tried all the more to kill Jesus. He broke our rules. He's doing good on the Sabbath. We must persecute him. He has got to go. He's breaking our rules. And he's claiming to be one with God. He's claiming that him and God are one. They're equal. Isn't that funny? We live in a world right now where equality, everyone's screaming equality, 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 everybody's equal. Like there's no male, there's no female, there's no boy, there's no girl. We're all just, we're all just human beings just wandering around the planet. Everybody should be equal. Isn't it funny that that's exactly what Jesus claimed, equality with the Father. And what did they want to do with him? They wanted to kill him. See, they loved, they loved their rules more than they loved people. They loved their rules more than they loved the people, and only the Creator could put all this in perspective in a way that they would get it, even though they denied it, and the people would understand it, and that's exactly what Jesus does. That's exactly what Jesus does. See, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of the day, the Sabbath was a tool 
that they used to beat people down. They took a good thing and they used it as a weapon against people. Doesn't this sound so familiar? I mean, it's so political. And, and, and an opportunity it was for them to make all kinds of laws to keep the people oppressed. They turned it into a crisis and they used it for evil. How leader-like, right? Nothing has changed in our day. Things have not changed all that much. Leaders using things to beat down people. How, how governmental-like, how political-like, right? But Jesus, on the other hand, he is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus says, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. See, God's design is that the Sabbath would serve us, that it was a day of rest for the people, never to be a burden on us, never to be a weapon on us, but to, to be a time of rest and peace and rejuvenation. It was for us. The Sabbath was going to be for us. And these guys turned it into a weapon to beat over people's heads. And besides, you guys, check it out. The Sabbath is the seventh day, and that's Saturday anyway, so we are all in big trouble, right? So all of this, the, the healing of the invalid, the, the conversation with the religioticians uh, has led us to this most important buckle up moment, right? Jesus is going to say something and, and he's saying what he's going to say to them is buckle up because I got something really, really big for you and important for you to understand and to, to listen to. And so Jesus says, as the story unfolds, Chapter John 6, verse uh, 19, Jesus says this. Therefore, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Yeah, they want to kill Jesus because he has broken their Sabbath. He told this man to pick up his mat and walk. He has performed a healing on the Sabbath. This man is now walking around with his mat on the Sabbath, and that is also breaking their laws. And Jesus now is claiming to be one with the Father, and they want to kill him all the more. And so Jesus says to them, buckle up. I'm going to tell you a truth. And you might want to like listen in. You know what this sounds like? It sounds like like Simon says. Simon says, look, or, or in this case, my father says, the son, the son can do nothing by himself. Jesus said, I, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see my father do. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. Just, just look at it. Just look at that. Father says, and I do. 
What the Father does, I do. What the Father says, I say. This is a claim that Jesus and God are one. And here comes the big truth, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, buckle up. You're not going to want to miss this. This is so very important. That is if you are a follower of Jesus. This is important to you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this probably doesn't matter to you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you truly want to follow God and follow Christ and live your life, pattern your life after Jesus. If that's what you want in your life, then, then he wants us to, to lean in and hear exactly what he says. Now, remember, he says this to them and to them is the religious leaders. A lot of times when Jesus uses a truly, truly statement, he's talking to his disciples or to the crowd and the disciples are there. And yes, the religious leaders are listening in. But in this case, he is talking directly to them, the religioticians. Listen up, religioticians. And then he says, the son, referring to himself, can do nothing of himself. It's not even me doing it, Jesus is saying. It's the son can do nothing in and of myself unless it is something that he sees the father doing. And it kind of restates the same thought by saying, for whatever the father does, these things the son does also. Now notice, Jesus is not speaking for all sons. Okay, He's not, he's not saying, look, every son should do exactly like their father does. That's not what Jesus is saying. Okay, We know that. He's not saying that. If you have a son, you know that your son does not do it, everything you do. And if you were a son at some point, you know that you didn't do everything your father said. And, and the prodigal son is a perfect example that this isn't what Jesus is getting at. Okay, He's saying he and the father are in sync. Jesus and his father are completely in sync. They are more in sync than in sync itself. They're more in sync than a synchronized swim team. They are more like a shadow mimicking each other, exactly alike, perfect harmony, the exact representation of one another. The same power, the same stuff that makes up the father makes up the son. They move as one because they are one. It is impossible. It is impossible for Jesus to do anything outside of the Father. Why, you ask? Why is it impossible for Jesus to do anything outside the Father? One word. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. God became a man. He is God. And to go against the Father would be to go against himself. It's exactly what Jesus meant when Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I can only do what I see my Father do, and I can only say what I see my Father saying. I can only act like my Father because I am. And the Father are one. I am simply doing what my Father is doing. And then Jesus says, you will see greater things than this. 
and be amazed. If you're looking at the passage, just as the father raises the dead and gives life, so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The father has entrusted all judgment to the son. All who honor the son honor the father. And whoever dishonors the son dishonors the father who sent him. And then again, Jesus says in the passages for looking at it, I hope you are, Jesus says again, truly, truly, I tell you, as if Jesus is saying, you really need to pay attention to what I'm telling you right now. I'm speaking facts. I'm speaking the truth. I hope you're going to get it. Put away your selfish pride. Here comes another truth. And Jesus says in verse 24, very truly, I tell you, another buckle up statement. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus is saying, my father says, my father says, not the religious leaders of the day, not the world leaders or the systems of the world, and not what I think or what I say, but God the father says, and whoever hears his word and believes in his son Jesus the son of God actively believes and puts it into practice what Jesus says like the wise man who built his house on the rock that person who trusts in Jesus has eternal life he has crossed over from death spiritual death to spiritual life that's where he is gone and whoever has not believed in Jesus has not crossed over to life and remains dead in their sins. Jesus is trying to reach out to these guys and give them another opportunity to believe in the Son and have life, but they are too stuck on their ways. They're way too stuck on their ways, like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And they just love being there. Guys, how many people do you know just love their comfortable little life so much that they are unwilling to put their faith and their trust completely in Christ? They don't even want to hear about it. They don't want to know more. They don't want to know anything. They just want these blinders on and they just want to live on the earth like doing whatever it is they want to do. Drinking and carousing and partying and just like living it up, enjoying life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't tell me about the truth of who God is. And those people remain in their sin. They have not crossed over from death to life according to what Jesus, the truth, is telling us. And they are remaining in their sins. See, in this world of darkness, in this world of darkness with corrupt leaders killing innocent people, murdering men and women and children, and governmental power plays with evil intentions, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who should we follow? Who is it that we're going to imitate? Well, Jesus said, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. 
He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Whatever God the father says and does, the son does also. And whatever Jesus says and does, his followers should do also. The Apostle Paul kind of sums it up like this. He wraps it up like this in his letter to the Ephesians. The Apostle Paul says this, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Paul says, who should you listen to? Who should you follow? Who are you going to be an imitator of? Be imitators of God. Be imitators of the Son of God because together they are one. Simon says, the Father says, are you buckled up? Are you buckled up enough to hear the truth of what Jesus has for us today? That he only does what he sees his father doing. That's all he can do. And as followers of Christ, what we should be doing is only what we see the son doing. Be imitators of Christ. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Go out and be like Jesus. Amen.